Hello, listeners. Welcome back to ASMR Quest. I am your host, John Tyler, and I'm joined by my co-host... Wait, you're not going to... Okay, I'm going to introduce... Ian Fox. That's my name. <laughs> what? <laughs> I... Was, I made it so simple and so clean that time. Well, I, but John, here's the thing. You made it too clean. You made it seem as if you were going to like sort of take care of everything for me. Um, but instead, I feel like you sort of stumbled right there at the final hurdle, and and I'm not gonna I'm not gonna say it's all your fault that that came off clean. Um, I'll leave it to the listeners to say that. Someday we'll know how to introduce ourselves. Maybe, but John, day. let me tell you that day is actually gonna be coming up pretty soon because I think I am pretty close to achieving um, the singularity. <laughs> okay. So I've recently you might you might not have noticed this, but I am in a different room now. I I did not notice that. Mm-hmm. Uh, although now that you pointed out, I that does seem to be the case. Mm-hmm. Uh, why are you in a different room? Well, John, in the house in which I live, uh, one of our one of my roommates has recently moved out, leaving his bedroom um, vacant, and I have I have sort of cannibalized it and turned it into my recording studio. Oh, really? And as an aspect of having this new room, he left behind a monitor. And so my current recording setup involves three different monitors, John. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. And so I'm able to process information at three times the speed of a normal, um, lowly human. <laughs> and so I think I'm pretty close to achieving the singularity at this rate. Um, <laughs> I'm missing maybe you know, one or two monitors, and it's sort of tough because my, my laptop's out of um, display out ports, which I can use. So maybe I'll have to like buy an HDMI splitter or something. But after that, I should be I should be good to go. I've got my Audacity open, so I can see all my little sound waves pouring forth. I've got <laughs> an episode outline, so I know not to get distracted by various things. And I've also got... Um, all the various sort of web pages and such that we plan to reference during this episode. So I'm about as prepared as one can get. I, I would say, yeah. Wow. I've achieved superhuman levels of podcaster. <laughs> um, and I hope so, our uh, listeners are ready for the experience. So are you uh, not planning to get another roommate then? You're just going to keep using this room as your recording studio? Yeah, basically. And pr- I presume like home office as well. Yeah, yeah. Uh, no, just okay. the recording studio, John. I come here <laughs> once every other week to record this podcast, and that's it. <laughs> then I lock it up. Um, unfortunately, I do also lock my nice laptop in here as well. <laughs> It'd be nice to be able to use that during the normal week, but yeah, that would be nice. Uh, what um, are you gonna do? Yeah, I, I I'm really impressed uh, by your dedication to the podcast. You're paying. Presumably some amount of extra rent uh, for this room you only use once every other week. Oh, no, no, no. The the former roommate is still paying rent. Oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> well, this, this, is, this is an interesting moral question for you, John. Or maybe it's not a moral yeah. question at all. Um, so I, I feel that if you um, enter into a renter's agreement with someone, and then you, mm-hmm. you leave partway through unexpectedly because of you know, various circumstances... Uh, in this case, the individual got a high-paying internship, which I'm sure eases some of these questions. Um, okay. So my my thought is, um, in general, it's unclear to me, but I think I so thought first off, certainly the person who entered into the agreement still carries the burden of paying the rent. Yeah, I think so. Um, and they can you know they can ease that by getting a subletter, 
Like, if right. they want to. Although I'm not, I do think, hmm, because it seems like if you enter into an agreement to rent with someone, and then, like, midway through they just say, like, no, I'm going to get a subletter. Oh, that seems sort of like something that you would need an explicit okay for. Certainly from the, you know, the property manager, but also maybe from the people you rent with. I, I think it, I think it is. Mm-hmm. I think you need to get their approval. Yeah. And then also, here's here's one thing that I've been thinking about because we've we've you know I've, I've we sort of dropped this, but something like paying for utilities, right? Mm-hmm. Like if you're paying for heat or something. Um, is that something that should continue to get split evenly, sort of? Oh, I don't think so. No. Yeah, because that's, that's that's certainly like that's my initial impression, right? Where like it was it seems I, sort of I, silly I can, to do that. See, like yes, with heat there is a minimum that you have to leave it at. Um, you know, like if you are setting your heat to what like forty five degrees or something, uh, like the bare minimum to keep the pipes from freezing. I don't. In think that a case, heat I would say maybe is sufficient to keep the pipes from freezing, John. Uh, no? What, I don't think what so. What is it, then? Because there's, well, I saw, there's an issue of, like, where the pipes are located in the house. That's true, yeah. if yeah. your pipes are in the outer walls, then you've got to keep the interior much hotter than that, because presumably That's those true. walls yeah, are insulated. Right. Yeah. I, I guess, like, I mean, I've, I've certainly heard a recommendation of 60 degrees, but I've heard that recommendation from landlords. I definitely know people who go lower than that when they're, like, gonna be away. Mm. Um... Yeah, my impression but, was it, so it, I would say that if you are heating for the sole purpose of preventing hu- pipes from freezing, then in that case, yeah, you can make the person who you uh, um, entered into the agreement with continue to pay their share. Uh, if you are heating to any degree beyond that, if you are having luxury heat, uh, then I feel that the person who is no longer living there is uh, free of all um, requirements to pay for heat. Mm. Maybe. I mean, but what, you know, what if the, the individual who had been living there, you know, they, they had liked it sort of at the temperature it was kept or strictly warmer than that, right? I don't know, it just seems to me that obviously for free, for the situation that I'm in, it's, it's, there's, there's no issue, but like, I could see an artificially constructed situation where, you know, let's say someone entered into an agreement where they're just sort of just barely able to afford it, right? Mm-hmm. They're just barely able to afford the house and utilities and all that. And someone leaves partway through for utilities where the consumption is strictly proportional to the number of people there, like water usage or something. Right. Then, you know, obviously a person leaves... Um, the utility is going to go down accordingly, so there's no issue. Yeah, yeah. But for something like heat, where it really is not that case, right? Like, the cost of heating a house stays pretty much the same regardless. Yeah, that's that's true. I don't know. It's just something that's interesting. But on the other yeah, hand, I also, if, if someone was to tell me, like, you know, oh, well, some, you know, this person I was renting with moved out and I asked him to continue paying the heat, I would say, like, that's foolish. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I can certainly see arguments for it. I feel like in most situations, uh, they probably are not going to continue to pay for heat and probably shouldn't be expected to. Yeah, no. Um, But I I can see there being a case where there's a solid argument for it. Mm Mm-hmm. So that's news from Lake Lake Wobegon. Oh, man, what a boring way to start discussing roommate agreements and paying for expenses. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, John, here's the real question, though. 
Yeah. Um, so you've got a trolley barreling down a track. Okay. <laughs> I think we've talked about this before. We have certainly talked about it before. I don't remember, though. Do you pull the lever, and do you push the fat man? Um, I think that, uh, I... Actually, wait, no, come to think of it, I think that we talked about this on our Christmas episode when we got super drunk and recorded for, like, three hours, so I think I might have actually cut this part out. Oh, shit. So maybe you should give the premise. <laughs> uh, keep it keep it short, but give the premise. Okay. So the trolley problem, uh, which I'm referencing here, is a classic philosophical dilemma where people are posed uh, how they would respond to a, a very odd situation. A trolley is barreling out of control towards a crowd of people. The, the sort of canonical setting is five people. And you've got an option. You're standing by a switch which controls the direction of the trolley. By pulling the switch, the trolley is diverted from its current track to another track, where it will run over one person instead of five. And the question is, um, do you pull the switch and have it so that the trolley switches over and and runs over that one person. And in sort of empirical studies, researchers have found that the majority of people will in fact pull the switch. Uh, then there's a slight variation of the problem where instead of pulling a switch, you are standing by a very fat person who is large enough that you, you are basically assured that if you were to push them in front of the trolley, uh, their sheer girth would stop the trolley's forward momentum and save the crowd of five people while you are simultaneously, you know, maybe too, too svelte to be expected to stop this trolley with your own mass. And the question is, <laughs> would you, would you push this fat person in front of the trolley? And they find that most people would not push the fat person. It's a sort of classic example, both of the difference between utilitarian and deontological philosophical systems, where, you know, do you believe that the greater good is always the desirable outcome, or do you believe there are actions which you can never do? because they are inherently wrong regardless of the outcomes. Uh, and then also another sort of more more practical psychological example of the ways that we view moral choices depending on the level of abstraction at which they're presented. I, it's, we're much more likely to be utilitarian about the problem when all we're asked to do is, you know, sort of some cruel mechanical action like pulling a switch as opposed to actually shoving some person in front of a trolley and sort of viscerally causing a death. Yeah. Um, I, so, I mean, my answers, I think, definitely would fit the uh, the majority for that one. Um, like, I, I logically feel that, like, in both cases, it makes sense to have the one person die rather than the five. Mm -hmm. But, like, realistically, if I was in that situation, I, I don't imagine that I could sort of take a the, that more direct action where it really does sort of, like psychologically feel like you have killed someone mm -hmm. um rather than the other case feels more like you uh saved a bunch of people and as a uh side effect someone else died but it was less people um so yeah it, like I, I think just psychologically um it, it doesn't feel like you kill someone in that situation in the switch situation Whereas in the pushing situation, I think it would feel like you're killing someone. Mm -hmm. So I feel like I most likely, you know, uh, I mean, it is a very contrived, very unrealistic situation. So I guess I can't say most likely if I was in this situation, <laughs> but uh, most likely if I was in this situation, 
I would probably pull the switch, but not push the the, the person. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, that, that makes a, a good deal of sense, and indeed is what the I think, average person would do. I've been wondering, I feel like I used to be in a camp where I was like, you know, well, you know, you never know what you'll do in these things, right? But sort of from a philosophical perspective, I would be willing to both pull the switch and push the person. Oh, really? But I feel like I've, I I feel like I've been moving more over towards like, I think, I think the issue is maybe less a, well, maybe it is a deontological thing, but I've been thinking a lot recently about, you know, sort of individual rights and this idea of, you know, it's one thing of, you know, will you throw yourself in front of the trolley to stop it? Oh, I see what you're saying. But, like, the, the fact that you take someone's right to act away from them. Hmm. Now, it's, you know, to be fair, we're, we are talking about the balance of, like, one life versus five or something, and, and you know, the, the calculus certainly changes you scale it up as, like, you know, one life versus a million or whatever. Yeah. But, know. yeah, no, I see what you're saying. There is... It isn't just that you are sort of more directly killing them. It is also that you are sort of making a decision for that person in a way. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas, like, with the switch lever, or with this, the lever case, um, it feels like they still have the opportunity to act, I suppose. Like, even though you have now redirected the trains that's coming at them. Mm-hmm. Um, like, they are now, like, I guess... It, it feels like they sort of have an option to, like, maybe try to get out of the way or something. Yeah, it feels like Whereas less the of other a violation, case if... right? Like, they're still dawdling yeah. around on a trolley track, for whatever reason. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, rather than you deciding. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know, okay, that's what you're getting at. Um, it's like, it's, it's something that I don't have a, a real sort of congealed philosophy about. Um, yeah, I mean, it also, like... It, it doesn't matter. It's it's really nonsense. Oh, John, it matters. It matters tremendously. It matters <laughs> tremendously. Because here's the question, you know, like, when we create sort of autonomous agents which can act sort of for themselves, what form of ethics do we encode into them, right? Oh, yeah, I see. Do we, want, do we want our robot to be making decisions for the greater good? Or do we want them to be following, like, a, a very specific, like, you know... X is always bad, no, regardless of the consequences. Like, you know, I could save the world if I if I pulled this switch, but I won't because it'll kill a fat man. <laughs> we got to um, think about these questions, John. In this day and age, in this economy, we've got to think about these <laughs> questions. <laughs> uh, I think it's time to move on to our notable vids. Um. Still, a, that name is not set in stone. Uh, listeners, if you have any suggestions for names you think would be better, uh, well, let us know. Well, I've got uh, two that's, suggestions that's right here, right now, Pretty much all of the segments. What? Two suggestions right here, right now. Because okay. really, I think what's what we've seen time and time again in the market is that alliteration is what sells. And so okay. my two suggestions, notable nids, <laughs> and alternatively, votable vids. I knew that that was the second one after I heard the first. Uh, listeners, let us know what you like. Uh, so, uh, one interesting, uh, one one notable vid that I found was 50 More Iconic Vines Remade into ASMR, Part 2, mm-hmm. by Tom Harlock. Um, there is a Part 1. I did not watch it. I watched Part 2, because it was the one that YouTube recommended to me. Uh, but so it is this guy Tom Harlock who is not an ASM artist generally um, I'm not really familiar with him he has a lot of subscribers 
I think he mostly just sort of does like different experimental things or different experimental videos, like tries different things. I don't know. That's besides the point. Uh, in this video, he is uh, sort of recreating a variety of Vine videos, mostly ones that involve speaking rather than intense action. Uh, no Krispy Kreme ASMR remake here, unfortunately. Uh, but yeah, so he's just sort of voicing a bunch of famous Vines in an ASMR manner. Uh, and uh, he also shows a tweet he had of his first, uh, or he got in response to his first video, uh, where he got GB's approval. So, you know, it's, it's pretty exciting for him. Oh, very good. I yeah. Actually, I took a look at this video because I thought it was an interesting premise for an ASMR video. And I also, it seemed, I don't know that I liked it. Yeah. I think that an issue I had with it is that, first off, I didn't recognize a lot of the vines. Yeah, I um, didn't recognize a lot of these either. That were supposedly so iconic. Oh, admittedly, I was not big into the vine scene, so they may well be very iconic. <laughs> Also, moreover, it just it just seemed sort of like the way in which he was reacting to them. It seemed very much like he was making fun of all vines, and the fact mm. that he was doing it in an ASMR manner made it it just it just brought to mind like someone mocking someone else, but quiet enough that that other person can't hear them. <laughs> it's just like the vine creator standing sort of just across the room, and he's he's making fun of their vine right here, right now. I didn't get that impression while watching it. Um, but, you know, I, I stand in your truth, Ian. You know, I, I can't tell you what to experience or how to experience it. You know, art is subjective. A very powerful message. Uh, moving on. I also watched ASMR Maybell's Menagerie Part 2, Dragon Hatchling Checkup, or number two. Hashtag two. As the millennials would say. It's a big week for twos, John. Uh, well, uh, this was released December 21st. I just didn't get around to watching it until now, even though I was very excited about it when I saw that it was out. Um, so yeah, Good Night Moon, uh, a follow-up to Maybell's Menagerie, a video that I very much enjoy. Um, I didn't like part two as much, but you know, it's still just that quality Good Night Moon content. Great set, great costume. Uh, I, well scripted, I think? I don't know. Do you think she scripts it, or do you think she improvises? I think that I, there was a loose script to these. Um, I think that, that that's probably accurate. I don't think that she like writes down every line or something. I think that yeah. she'll, she'll sort of sit down with like maybe a one or two page draft of what she's going to do, and then she sort of goes sort of the doing it. the commedia dell'arte of mm -hmm. uh, of ASMR. Improv I think that's probably scenes. accurate. Guys, it's a it's a good costume. Um, it really does change. Like, when I, when I looked at this, I was like, oh, is that Good Night Moon? Yeah, she looks totally different in, like, all of her videos. I mean, obviously, like, if you really just sort of pay attention to her face, to the parts that, like, are not changed, you can see that, yes, it is the same person. Yeah, she is not wearing, just like, like, drastic a, facial prostheses. Yeah, but just, like, at a quick glance, the costumes and wigs and, um, and the makeup definitely just makes her, like, wildly different in a lot of her videos. Mm -hmm. Now this looked like a high-quality video. Um, didn't watch too much of it. The big thing that I noticed, though, was that what you linked to um, did start 2,377 seconds in. <laughs> I'm just a little curious as to why. Um, that was unintentional. Okay, just uh, an unintentional ASMR moment. <laughs> oh, I think it was because it was probably, like, a video that I 
had in my history that was like partially watched. And so I think when I clicked the link, it brought me to the timestamp where I'd like last left off. And so then when I copied and pasted the URL carelessly, it picked up the uh, timestamp. Now, wait, John, you're, you're telling me that we are putting in our notable vids, aka notable mids, aka votable vids section, the <laughs> honored section of the ASMR Quest podcast, the number one podcast about ASMR out there. Uh, suck it, ASMR Lab, or one of the other ASMR podcasts, I don't even remember. That's how inconsequential they are to me, John. <laughs> um, in this in this notable segment, you're recommending videos that you have not even seen the end of. Uh, Ian, that is not what I'm telling you. What I'm telling you is that when I clicked on the link, it brought me to a timestamp in the video, uh, and that when I then posted it, it posted that timestamp. Uh, I that did, in fact, finish this last... video. Okay, so because I'm just I'm just concerned. Like, what if the last ten minutes were just her sort of going off on like you know all sorts of real offensive things, John? And we're recommending this to. Uh, I, I did finish the video, and that that does not happen. Okay, so you will endorse this video with the. John I do endorse this approval. video. Yes. Okay. Excellent. Okay. <laughs> Objection withdrawn, John. Uh, do you want to talk about this uh, video that you you posted? So this video that I've posted, sort of in contrast to what I was just um, sort of <laughs> assaulting you about, is something that I've seen almost none of. Okay. <laughs> I've watched maybe maybe a cumulative two minutes of this video. This is John oh Butler Discovering Stillness Part 1, an interview with Ian McNay. There's a lot of things that I like about this video. The, the first thing is that the interviewer is also named Ian, although this is Ian with a second eye. I think that's a little excessive, but... <laughs> you know, so, that's a more Scottish spelling, right? Yeah, that's the Scottish. Or that's... Okay. That's, that, that is sort of the... the, the I think main Scottish spelling of the end. Okay. Um, so John Butler is a fellow who writes a lot about sort of Christian meditation. And Interesting. This is an interview with him talking about you know, a book that he's just written. And what I really like about it is that John Butler is an old man with a big bushy white beard. He does have a big bushy white beard. And a sweater vest. <laughs> and he talks in a very calming manner. Um, and there's just something, I feel like I've, I've, I've noticed this about myself recently, where I do tend to be drawn towards unintentional ASMR. And my favorite unintentional ASMR videos um, feature the actions and musings of old men. <laughs> do you think that uh, the reason you are drawn to... Uh... Um, unintentional ASMR has to do with the sort of the pleasantness factor that the we discussed last factor. week. Yeah, maybe last episode. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I think that, that that could well be the case. I think that it's it's you know like things that are generally qualified as unintentional ASMR are going to be sort of light, pleasant material presented in a calming manner. And I think one one sort of bonus for me as an individual who still does not experience ASMR is that unintentional ASMR tends to have a little bit more um, interesting content. Because if you're looking at an interview, right, like presumably this interview is not designed with the express purpose of triggering ASMR. 
And yeah. thus, there's sort of a focus to it outside of the, the pleasurable physical sensations which can result from it. Right. Yeah, it is not an hour of mic brushing. Mm-hmm. Oh, I do like mic brushing. Oh, really? Yeah, like, out of all the, out of all the ASMR triggers, I think that's the one that, that I think is sort of most viscerally appealing. Nice. Yeah, I, I like mic brushing as well. I think I find it quite pleasant. Let's move on to ASMR news. Austin, a big week for news, John. <laughs> uh, it has not been a big week for news. <laughs> John, that's my catchphrase. I, sorry, I didn't realize that was your catchphrase. I'm sorry I'm killing your gimmick. Well, it is now. All right. Uh, so uh, one thing that I found that I thought was kind of interesting was uh, from the Ask Amy column uh, with columnist Amy Dickinson. Uh, which I, I believe is like a pretty well-known syndicated column. It's in like a variety of publications. Uh, you know, it, it's uh, one of those write-in with questions and this expert answers them sort of uh, columns. Uh, so someone wrote in to Amy to ask about the fact that her husband had been watching a lot of uh, ASMR videos um, and that she was uncomfortable with the fact that her husband was watching a lot of videos of women whispering. Um, and she realizes that there's nothing explicitly sexual in the videos. And, uh, well, as she describes it, nothing sexual, just long videos of really nothing happening. <laughs> um, but she was concerned that uh, it was some sort of addiction and also that it was like other women that he was listening to uh to relax um and so amy essentially just tells this woman what asmr is and says it's really probably not a big deal shouldn't be too concerned about it if you're really upset about the fact that there's like other women in it uh you know maybe suggest that he watch some asmr with some male asmr artists uh and uh she recommends that the uh, wondering wife, as she signed it, uh, try ASMR for herself to, cause that will most likely sort of ease her, uh, her, her concerns. So I just, I just appreciated that Amy Dickinson was, uh, you know, standing up for ASMR. I thought it was sort of interesting that really reading this, it came across to me that Amy Dickinson knows her business when it comes to ASMR. Oh, yeah, I agree. It didn't sound like she just Googled it. It sounded like she was someone who was familiar with ASMR mm-hmm. and had, like, I mean, watched the videos herself. She even said that, that might just Bob be... Ross was her nighttime drug of choice. Oh, that's true, yeah. I mean, it could just be that she is a, you know, knows her craft well and knows how to come across as um, knowledgeable when she's not. But she definitely came across as someone who was knowledgeable about ASMR. Mm-hmm. So I just wanted to say, you know, um, Amy Dickinson, if you're listening to this, because it does sound like she's part of the hashtag ASMR me. Um, uh, that's a good point, Ian. <laughs> then, you know, we'd, we'd love to have you on the podcast to sort of give various pieces of advice. Um, and also, I did want to point out just the fact that the article you linked me to here was on... Um, MarinIJ.com, and I've got no idea why you linked to this particular location for Amy Dickinson's column. 
this was well because when I I do my sort of ritual of going to Google, typing in ASMR, and clicking the news uh, tab. This was the one that showed up. Okay, because like this is I, from what I understand, this is like the local website for Marin County in California. Oh, interesting. <laughs> 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 like as the as the sort of the Marin Independent Journal is is the sort of um, journal for this website. I was just curious as to how you came across this particular instantiation of what I can only imagine was um, hundreds, if not thousands, of websites which were hosting this particular article. Well, uh, I guess MarinIJ.com just is good SEO. <laughs> I suppose so. So you know, if any of our listeners live in in Marin, um, let us know. <laughs> And then, Ian, you had something that you uh, provided here. Oh, well, so this, talk isn't, about that. this isn't really um, news per se, but I just decided to look up on Google Trends ASMR mm-hmm. and just you know, look at the sort of interest graph over time. And I thought that it was kind of interesting. I, I, have you taken a look at it? I have. Um, it seemed, the numbers seem lower than I would expect. Well, so, I mean, the the... the I guess I, I guess I don't know what period these are aggregated over. Like, what number are you referring to? Um, well, like, it looks... Like, I think the highest I'm seeing here is, like, just ASMR 100. Oh, yeah. Well, no, so Google, I is 100 Trends, searches. Oh, no. no. Google oh, okay. Trends normalizes yeah. everything to, like, the amount of interest. So, like, oh. 100 is the maximum interest experienced for any particular topic. Oh, interesting. Oh, okay. Then the idea is, like, you know, so... So we see back in February 3rd, 2013, it was sort of at 6% of the level of interest that it was at its peak, which was August of 2017. And currently it's sitting at 96% or around there. 93% of the interest. Okay. Got it. Oh, and then I didn't... Yeah, so that was really all I looked at, and I didn't look at it very closely, clearly. Okay. I thought it was interesting because... I, I was looking at it to wonder, you know, like, over the course... Because we've been doing this now since about... What was it? Mid-February? Um, 2017? Yeah. That sounds about right. I think or maybe even late February or March. Yeah. Was when we actually started releasing them. Because back then, ASMR was only at around um, 50% interest. And yeah, it really shot up a lot from... Uh, July to August. Yeah, I wonder. Do you do you know any reason why it might have shot up so much? Um, well, I think that was around the same time that we released that episode where we were eating donuts in my living room. Oh, okay, uh, that so I think that that probably was like a big factor. <laughs> <laughs> that makes a lot of sense. Okay, yeah, I just thought that was interesting uh, to look at this. The, the general trend of this, and you, know, you can just look at Google Trends and look at the five-year history, is a sort of slow and steady increase. And two big spikes. One yeah. around February to March 2016. And a very, very large spike around July to August. And since that spike of July to August, ASMR sort of held pretty constant, but it's been at a, yeah. much, a much higher level of interest. Yeah, it's been stable since then. But yeah, there was a big spike there. Also, apparently, a lot of interest in South Korea. Oh, interesting. South Korea is apparently oh, yeah. the hub of um, ASMR interest, so. Hmm. Oh, interesting. If you look at the, the South Korean-specific um, interest over time, 
that's really like you see a tremendous like this this the July to August spike is is much more notable. Oh yeah. So I don't know something happened in South Korea around that time. <laughs> that really oh wait, got- I wonder if. I mean, I think that that might have been around the time that uh, uh, Donald Trump and uh, Kim Jong-un were uh, tweeting at each other a lot. Or were, were, you know, sort of escalating uh, hostilities. Mm -hmm. So I wonder if people were just uh, trying to relax. Seems likely. On a related note, I think to, to date ourselves somewhat. Today is the day when Donald Trump is giving the State of the Union. And I just want to get a quick poll from you, John. What do you feel like the State of the Union is? Um, I think that uh, there's going to be a lot... Wait, am I trying to guess what he's going to talk about? Or what I think... I'm going to try to guess what he's going to talk about. Mm -hmm. Um, I think he's going to uh, talk a lot about fake news. Um, I think he's going to... Uh, try to attack um, the character of Mueller. Um, I think he is going to just try to talk shit about the Justice Department and the FBI um, and try to sort of undermine them. I think he's going to try to undermine Democrats. I think he's probably going to try to talk about the wall. Um, he'll probably just say a couple of really dumb things. Um, basically just be unhinged, go off the hook. Um Maybe even, uh, you know, maybe uh, he'll even talk shit about one of his supposed allies. You know, it's it's been a little while since he's had a major falling out. I uh-huh. think he's, he's overdue for another one. So you're sort of uh, predicting yeah. that Trump will turn heel in the State of the Union. Um, I, I would say just continue his descent into madness, but... Uh, okay. Um, yeah. So my prediction is that Donald Trump will go up to the microphone and he will say, the State of the Union is strong. And then everyone will applause for one hour, and that will be it. <laughs> so we'll see who's right. I mean... Yeah, him just overselling how well things are going and providing no facts is also a strong possibility. I will say, a point in Donald Trump's favor, though, is that from many objective... I don't economic- think there's any need to give a point in Donald Trump's favor. That's a good point. <laughs> <laughs> That unemployment rate, though, so tight. Is it related to Donald Trump's activities? Almost certainly not. Absolutely not. not. Yeah. <laughs> um, but still. Just a coincidence. Very good. In that fact, he'll certainly try to take credit for, but... Many uh, would argue that it is the delayed effects of Obama's economic policies. Um, it's probably true. He's <laughs> a cool dude. On to hot goss, John. On to that hot, hot goss. Sounds good. Uh, so I found something that I thought was kind of interesting. Uh, it was a thread on the subreddit, uh, where someone was talking about the fact that they can, uh, trigger ASMR themselves, um, with the slightest thought they described it. Mm -hmm. Uh, it sounds almost maybe like sort of a form of meditation maybe to me. Um, but essentially they're just talking about the fact that they can trigger ASMR without any sort of external stimuli, um, which I thought was pretty interesting. I didn't realize that people could do that, but uh, apparently it is a thing, uh, and there are other people who can do it. 
Um, some people refer to it as type A ASMR sensitive, mm-hmm. uh, and that people who experience ASMR but need some sort of external stimulus are type B ASMR sensitive. Um, I don't know how widely adopted those terms are, uh, but I just, I just thought that it was sort of a, an interesting um, variation on the phenomenon that I was not aware of. Yeah, no, self-triggered ASMR is certainly interesting. I think it raises a sort of interesting question in that, you know, from my understanding, ASMR is a very pleasurable sensation, or it's a, a fairly pleasurable sensation. Um, yeah, I think that depends on the person. I mean, if we go back to that uh, forum thread where it was sort of first talked about way back in, what was it, 2006 or 2007, mm-hmm. with uh, Lore Master Bean. With Lore Master Bean. Uh, <laughs> I, I, there were definitely a lot of people on there who were talking, who were describing it as, like, better than drugs, mm-hmm. uh, and t- saying it was, like, sort of the most intense pleasurable experience I've ever had, um, which I think is definitely a minority opinion uh, in the ASMR community now, but it is certainly a pleasurable experience. I just like, if you can, if you can induce it in yourself with the slightest thought, right? Like, it's yeah, almost that's, like, that's like, that like an overstatement you know, to me. Having like, you know, it's like those classic experiments with rats where you, you, you put some sort of little spike into the rat's brain where if they push a lever, it'll trigger a little electric stimulus to the pleasure center of the brain. Yeah. And what people found is that the, the rats will just keep on pushing that lever, stimulating their pleasure center, until they die. Like, they'll, <laughs> they'll forego eating and drinking, and even... I think there was even experience where, like, they'd get the rats hooked on cocaine, and they'd forgo even the cocaine in favor of just <laughs> pushing that pleasure lever until they die. <laughs> like, what is keeping Reddit user Chameleon, or... Came a lion? I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. Reddit user, something that looks like chameleon. What's <laughs> keeping them from inducing that pleasurable sensation of ASMR uh, to the point where they are no longer eating or drinking, but just... Well, actually, this was submitted three days ago. Maybe they have died <laughs> since then. If, if that's the case, you know, my my respects to... Chameleon? I think it's probably supposed to be pronounced chameleon. Okay. My respects to chameleons, um, family and loved ones. (laughs) Um, I'm so sorry for your loss. This Reddit post did come across to me as a little braggadocious and silly, but (laughs) it is interesting. Um, Yeah, I I think that uh, to your point of uh, why haven't they died, um, I suspect that there are sort of three major factors at play here. Um, mm-hmm. one is that I, I don't think it's, it's probably not like an intensely pleasurable experience. It's probably like a pleasurable experience, but there are plenty of other pleasurable experiences out there as well. Um, so that's the first thing that I think is sort of has saved their life. Mm-hmm. Um, the second thing that I think has maybe helped to save their life is that it's not like, I, I don't think that, uh, trigger the triggering ASMR in this manner would necessarily prevent you from doing other things. Like maybe they can do other things while also sort of triggering ASMR in themselves. Uh-huh. Um, oh, we could add a, a, another one. Uh, it might also, I think like maybe take a little more concentration. So it's not like, it's not as simple as just I don't know, the slightest effort. Yeah, the slightest effort okay. So trigger. I'll drop that one. I'll drop that one. Uh-huh. We'll go back to my uh, original number three, um, which is, I, um, I don't think chameleon is as dumb as a rat. I think I think humans are generally regarded as more intelligent than rats. Yeah, I don't know. I want I'm to my knowledge, 
this experiment has never been replicated on a human. And indeed, I think it would be very unethical to do it. I do think that the behavior of people with serious drug addictions would indicate that humans would respond in a somewhat similar manner. That's fair. Where people who have Um, sort of the option to induce an incredibly pleasurable sensation of themselves will, will do so at the cost of every other aspect of their life and to the point of death. That's, that, that is fair. Um, I'm no expert on drug addiction, but I I am. I was under I, I was under the impression that uh, not in every case, but that uh, in maybe uh, or in that many cases there is usually some other issue at play. Like it is not you, usually you don't take like a perfectly healthy, happy person with uh, no other issues in their life and then get them addicted to drugs to the point where they uh, cease to function. Um, I think that. Well, I would argue that's sort of what the opioid crisis is. Um, is it, I mean, I, I was under the impression that, again, I could be very wrong, but I was under the impression that oftentimes um, someone who, like, develops an addiction of that magnitude has either some sort of, like, trauma or stress going on in their life, like serious trauma or stress going on in their life, or has some sort of, like, uh, mental health issue. Mm-hmm. Well, so I have a few points on that. First off, it is certainly the case that you often see that people who develop severe um, drug addictions do have various mental health issues. There's there's questions about sort of the direction of that effect. Like, you know, are people with mental health issues more likely to become addicted to drugs or do certain drugs? Uh, are they more likely to sort of reveal underlying mental health issues or cause those mental health issues, right? So there's there's mm-hmm. no reason why a mental health issue can't be caused by an external phenomena. Right. Um, another point in your favor is that it's been found that severe drug addictions can be very context dependent. The, the classic example yeah. is that uh, people returning, like so, so soldiers returning from Vietnam who were addicted to opium, a, a very addictive drug, found it to be very easy to break that addiction upon returning to the U.S. just because it was such an enormous context switch. And so there seems to be some evidence that your sort of um, localized state of mind can have a pretty big effect on your right. degree of um, sort of drug addiction. I think I think that the opioid crisis is a point against that, though, in that one of the real notable things about the opioid crisis that we're undergoing right now is that a lot of the sort of instances of drug addiction are happening on people who we wouldn't typically think of as drug addicts, you know, like pretty regular people who happen to be prescribed some sort of powerful opioid for some various surgery or some temporary Mm. pain condition, and it's led to this sort of downward spiral for them. Right. And that seems to indicate to me that most people, given some sort of, you know, like um, pleasure pill or pleasure lever, are sort of likely to be induced into unhealthy behavior. Hmm. So my suspicion is that if we had access to some little pleasure button we could push and we push it and it's like we get an orgasm or something, it would probably be the end of the human race. Interesting. But maybe not. Yeah. Uh, That was quite quite the diversion. I I also wanted... I'm going to cut that out. (laughs) 
I also wanted to mention... <laughs> John, that was a very funny joke. <laughs> Damn it. I almost, like, I, I was going to do it super clean so that I... <laughs> All right, anyway. Um, <laughs> guess I'm putting in the transition music. Uh, I also wanted to mention that um, I, I do find this kind of interesting uh, in that my sort of own personal belief has been that ASMR is... Um, quite possibly a manifestation of synesthesia. Mm -hmm. Um, And this sort of self-triggering ASMR seems like it would suggest otherwise. Um, Well, there's, you know, there's there's nothing to suggest that type A and type B ASMR couldn't be entirely different phenomena, right? That that is true. Yeah, that's a good point. And also, we Um, have no idea if Chameleon is is sort of shooting straight here. Like, I don't know. I, I mean, it sounds like they're. I'm willing to believe that they didn't just make this up, but yeah, they definitely could have. Um, actually, I don't know if I do necessarily think that ASMR is a form of synesthesia. Now that I've said it, I'm now doubting myself because mm-hmm. I've also stated at other points on this podcast, I believe that it has something to do with like a feeling of of comfort or safety or something like that. So, uh, I retract that statement. I don't know where I stand. We've got things to think about. That's right. Let's move on to, uh, the next piece of hot goss that you had, that you brought up or that, that you found. The next piece of hot goss is also from the ASMR subreddit. Shout out to the ASMR subreddit community. We really got to start reaching out to them, John. Yeah. Um, should like actually like post on there sometimes, maybe someday. Maybe actively engaged in this community rather than just talking about the just stuff that they Just observe do. them. Yeah. <laughs> like, like we're going to the zoo. Mm-hmm. Staring well, at the cages. So uh, today's zoo animal of note uh, <laughs> is Reddit user Slickone. And... It is silicone. Oh, yeah, there is an eye there. Silicone. Yeah. Um, and Silicone was talking about pseudoscience and ASMR. Just pointing out that in general, there seems to be a trend where people, sort of ASMR artists, will buy into pseudoscientific concepts with, like, you know, sort of ASMR regarding the healing power of crystals and vibrations and all of that, um, and just saying how they didn't like it. They cringe every time someone decides to make bold claims about secrets of the human anatomy or how the fundamentals of the universe operate. I just brought it up because you know, it seemed like it was generating a lot of response in the um, subreddit. Yeah. There's a lot of people who seem to be agreeing that they do not, in fact, like when ASMR just go off in these sort of pseudoscientific oh, directions. I, I, I got sort of a, a different impression from the comments that I read. Mm. Uh, the impression that I got was that a lot of the people commenting here don't agree with or believe in sort of pseudoscientific stuff that they find in ASMR videos, but that they, but that it doesn't bother them because they just sort of look at it as a work of fiction. And as long as the uh, person in the video is otherwise doing the things that you would expect an ASMR artist to do and is, uh, and actually a lot of people are saying that they, they prefer that no matter what they're saying, the ASMR artist says it with conviction. Mm. Um, so yeah, a lot of people are saying that like, while they don't believe in the sort of pseudoscience stuff that they might find in ASMR videos, it doesn't bother them, and in some cases actually is sort of a trigger for them. 
Yeah, no, I am also looking through this. I am seeing some people who are who are certainly saying things along that vein. In fact, the majority are, and I think my previous statement was wrong. <laughs> um, um, I also saw one person who I thought made sort of an interesting point. Um, I mean, their whole... They, they wrote a rather large body of text, um, and a lot of it, I don't know, just seems kind of rambly and ranty. Uh, but Are you talking about some... PM me your smile girl? Uh, no, I'm talking about uh, head underscore cox- coxswain. Hmm. Oh, head coxswain. Um, but uh, there's a couple of points that they made that I thought were kind of interesting, uh, where they were essentially describing that they're essentially saying that a lot of uh, uh, like pseudoscientific practitioners, they believe, were essentially just using ASMR, but not aware of the, or but like just didn't think of it that way. Then that like the sort of people who would be, who would like go to one of these pseudoscientific practitioners, um, unaware of this like of ASMR, would go there get this sort of, like, personalized um, attention with all this sort of mysticism around it, would experience a, like, physical sensation and think, like, oh, it must be working. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, like, essentially the, their whole thesis is that mo- a lot of this sort of pseudoscience stuff existed for a long time and was uh, uh, benefiting because of ASMR. And so now that ASMR is sort of, like, its own recognized thing, that these people are just sort of moving into the realm of ASMR, um, which I don't necessarily uh, think is entirely accurate, but I think that's like a good point to it. Yeah, I can see what they're getting at. I think it's a, I think it's an interesting idea. And I, do I don't like, know if there's necessarily much evidence to back it up, but I think it's a, an interesting thought. I do like that they bring up the idea, and I like this person's complaining about pseudoscience and ASMR, when, you know, in fact, as they point out, this, an irony here is that ASMR is inherently a very pseudoscientific term. Yeah, it definitely is. Where, like, auto-sensory meridian response is... I mean, you, you don't get more pseudoscience than that. <laughs> A meridian response, John, I ask you. So, yeah, I just thought that it was an interesting discussion. And yeah. You know, a, a quick a quick poll, John, a quick poll of the people here. What do you think about pseudoscience and ASMR? Do you like those woo ASMR vids, or...? Um, I don't really have any strong feelings about it. Uh, sometimes if it, like, I guess if it, if it comes out of nowhere, it can be a little jarring. Um, like, if I'm not expecting it in the video that I'm watching. Um, but if I, I feel like if I go into the video expecting it, then, yeah, I can just sort of, I'm not really, most of the time I'm not watching ASMR for the facts. Yeah. That's, so. a, that's a reasonable opinion. I think I would tend to, to view it somewhat unfavorably. Um, unless it's very clearly done as a sort of fake caricature. Yeah, I, I, I suppose that that is somewhat true for me as well. Like, if it seems like something the ASM artist really does believe rather than a character they're doing, I think it's a little more off-putting. Um, but it also depends on, like... I mean, pseudoscience is a huge, broad term, so I think it also depends on what they're talking about. Um, you know, if if I was to stumble upon some sort of, like, anti-vaxxer asmr i would find that very off-putting and would probably never watch one of those person's videos again um if it's something more innocuous uh then i 
don't really mind so much. Yeah, seems sensible to me. Which brings us, John, to the main quest. Oh boy, it sure does. Today we're talking about a very exciting ASMRs, John. We are doing a profile of, I would say, a hero amongst the ASMR community. <laughs> um, the man who has single-handedly saved ASMR. You heard it here first, folks. Wow. <laughs> Today we're talking about Fred's voice ASMR. <laughs> Where, where's all this coming from? I mean, I I, I like him. I, I'm not trying to like put you down or anything or disagree. Mm-hmm. I'm just, I'm. You, you, that's a, a bold thesis statement. You it's an incredibly there, bold thesis. statement. I really want to. One which I will not back facts. up. Um, but I will <laughs> okay. say, I I quite liked Fred's voice ASMR. Okay. Um, I was a big fan of Fred's voice, and I actually, for the maybe first time ever, watched a whole ASMR video. And while I say watched, I did not watch it. I listened to it while playing a video game. Okay, um, but I just think that that really speaks volumes to my degree <laughs> of of affection for this ASMR artist. Yeah, um, yeah. So Fred's voice ASMR is a an ASMR artist who's Thor from the Marvel superhero movies. Um, <laughs> yeah, he he does kind of look like Thor a little bit. Well, kind of looks uh, like Thor a little bit is I think the undersell of the century, John. <laughs> It is, I would say, a striking similarity. Yeah, especially like with some of his more recent stuff. Uh, some of his older stuff, where he has shorter hair, less of a beard, and just sort of more of a baby face, not so much. Mm-hmm. But his newer stuff, uh, definitely very Thor-like. So uh, he's so, a, a big muscle man ASM artist. Yeah, I'd like to uh, take this moment to note uh one of the the notes that i have on our our outline here mm-hmm. um so uh some of the things that i like about fred's voice um number one on this list big muscles mm-hmm. uh and also only thing on the list uh, <laughs> I, the there are other things i like about <laughs> fred's voice but that was the only one that i felt really needed to be called out here is uh he's got big muscles and a I, I appreciate his large muscles. He really does. So I, I did a little bit of digging into Fred's voice. Um, he's got a Patreon, John. And do you know that if you contribute to his Patreon, you can get subscriber-only access to a channel where he posts his workout routines? Oh, I did not. That's and they are done cool. in the style of Fred's voice ASMR. So they are ASMR workout vids on how he oh, got man. such big muscles. <laughs> That's amazing. So I'd recommend you, if you're interested in that, listeners, go and subscribe to his Patreon. Um, he seems to be doing fairly well with the Patreon. I think it's like sitting at around 700 a month, which... Oh, it's not bad. Yeah, pretty reasonable as a side guy. I still don't know if this is like his main job or something, but... Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, so I watched a couple of his vids. Um, and... Well, I guess first off, I'll say that I, I watched an unboxing vid by him. Uh-huh. And I, I know that I've heard you mention ASMR unboxing videos before. Yeah, and I, I know you've poo-pooed unboxing videos in general. I have. I don't think that I quite grasped what an unpleasant experience an ASMR unboxing video would be. Now, this is not, <laughs> this is not a knock on Fred's voice ASMR, because I, 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 do, I do think highly of this man. I, I, I quite like his sort of style of videos. But there is... Because when I see an unboxing video, right, when I see that that fresh box ready to be opened, 
Mm-hmm. I want to see it open, right? I want to see them sort of yeah. slice it open cleanly, bring out the thing. Like, I was thinking, in a way, an ASMR video for an unboxing might be a pleasurable experience because they're sort of taking care with it and doing it properly. Yeah. What I didn't expect was the... I would I would estimate about 15 minutes of prelude to the unboxing, which I think is just about unbearable. When uh, you see that box ready to be opened, <laughs> ripe, and just, you know, it, it's... it's You want it to be plucked from the vine fresh, <laughs> right? And they're just letting it sit there as they talk on and on and on about how they're going to be doing this unboxing, they're going to be opening it up soon. And it was just... It was intolerable, John. <laughs> I think that might be specific to the video that you watched. Um, Possibly. This was the PS4 unboxing by Fred's Voice. Okay, yeah, I, I did not watch that one. Because uh, my introduction to Fred's Voice was... Excuse me. Uh, was his ASMR Secret Santa video from mm-hmm. that uh, series of Secret Santa videos that I talked about previously. Um, which, again, still recommend. I would, you should check him out, listeners. Uh, and in that one, there is a, a little bit of a uh, prelude, but I don't recall it being super long. And it's also um, not with the actual gifts in front of him. And I feel like as soon as the gifts are in front of him, he, he gets t- down to business in a reasonable amount of time. Okay. I don't know. I, just, I, I opened up this video expecting a very satisfying experience. And I was sort of instantly thwarted in my satisfaction by him <laughs> not unboxing the PS4, but instead talking about various things. Um, now, after that, I watched a, a video, because I, I sort of done some reading about him, uh, part of which was on this Vice article, which I linked to, a sort of <laughs> yeah. Vice profile of Fred's voice. I'm not sure if you've taken the time to read it. Oh, I did. I'm not sure I've ever seen a more dismissive profile of ASMR. <laughs> it's for someone who is like recommending an ASMR channel. It's so dismissive and disrespectful of ASMR. I guess the it's... fact that I called it dismissive um, is maybe indicative <laughs> of the degree of dismissiveness yeah. here. It's a quote. Um, Talking about sort of ASMR videos, the most popular are, of course, done by conventionally attractive women, as creepy men enjoy being whispered to by them. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, uh... I, I wasn't super into the writing of this article. I can see uh, why, John. It was a... <laughs> I mean, there are aspects of it that were were good and i I did watch most of the videos that were recommended in it and i I enjoyed those um it was it was it was a weird article (laughs) Uh, it's called youtube channel of the week number 27 fred's voice subtitle an asmr channel with some very strange characters by joe bish on vice.com if you want to check it out it's a weird one though (laughs) (laughs) so after looking at that article i thought that i would try to look at you know one of fred's voices um more character-driven sketches. And so I watched one where he was a um, a rather unpleasant um, game shop attendant. Okay. Yeah, I uh, watched one where he was a rude um, tea store person. He, he was working at the tea store, selling you tea. Mm-hmm. 
So actually, maybe maybe this would have fit in very well. I know we a couple episodes back we're talking about rude ASMR in general, and maybe he fits yeah, in quite yeah, well. Bitchy with that. ASMR, I believe, was the term mm-hmm. we were using. And so yeah, several of his uh, videos fall into the bitchy ASMR category, and he's been doing them for quite some time, um, like going back several years. But I really enjoyed his um, his bitchy ASMR sort of like GameStop employee. Uh, episode. Yeah, I, th- I thought the uh, the T one that I watched was pretty solid too. Um, I can't say what it was about it that made me uh, like it, but I don't know. There, it was. I didn't mind the bitchiness. Also, I think that he presented uh, in the in the in the sort of um, game store one. He presented a very cohesive character. Um, I think that he did a good job of it was it was not just like sort of bitchiness incarnate, um, but he he sort of had a, a well formulated idea of the person he was trying to portray, and did a reasonable job portraying them across a range of different customer interaction scenarios. That makes um, sense. Um, yeah, like the uh, the T one that I watched, he definitely had a strong point of view that he was bringing to the interaction. He was. His point of view was that you were some sort of hooligan, some ruffian, mm-hmm. who uh, was probably more of a uh, liquor drinker than a tea drinker. Uh, someone who, his impression of you is that you didn't know anything about tea. You were a fool and a hooligan, and he had wanted he wanted nothing to do with you. But he also, you know, he wasn't going to just turn away paying customers. Mm-hmm. Well, actually, yeah. so saying that, 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 that's very similar to the character who was portraying in the game store video, where um, you are a noob. You are someone who does not understand the intricacies of gaming, John. He is a elite <laughs> professional gamer, um, and he is sort of forced to interact with you because as the proprietor of this game store, he requires paying customers. Hmm. But he would he's clearly above you, right? Yes. <laughs> so perhaps he's, perhaps he's just come across a sort of appealing and, and cohesive bitchy profile, which he applies to different situations. But I feel like often unpleasant or bitchy ASMR can just sort of come across as like, you know, oh, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take some situation. I'm going to do the thing which is the opposite of what would be pleasant. Yeah. But that's, not, that's not how unpleasant people are, right? It's not like an right. unpleasant person is just unpleasant by all metrics in our, all situations. It's right, like they, they try to have, pretend to be pleasant, but and they just they have a worldview. They are they are acting as a as a reasonable person with reference to some worldview which is just unreasonable, right? Yeah, and I think what's particularly appealing about these these series of videos he has involving customer interactions is that it provides a very plausible excuse for why someone with with an incredibly different worldview than you would be forced to interact with you. And that, you know, like, if you are someone working behind a desk at a retail situation, you've got to interact with customers, right? And the customer is always right, so you need to sort of accommodate them. But you can still have your rather strong opinions, right? And I just it yeah. seemed like a very good phrasing of a bitchy ASMR situation. I was I was a very yeah, good fan. No, of I, I agree. Yeah, I think he definitely framed it well. Um I also think that like 
just sort of the, the the sort of ridiculousness of it, I suppose, in that, um, like you know the the guy that or the this like proprietor of the tea store that I was watching, mm-hmm. um, just had this like very very strong belief about you that he was just unwilling to let go of, but was like also so preposterous and so inconsequential that it was like just it's just kind of funny that like this character sort of builds this entire interaction around just their complete disdain for you and their belief that you know nothing about tea mm-hmm. and like is unwilling to bend on it I don't know, there's something a little silly about it that i that i enjoyed yeah, no, it's a it's a it's a sort of inherently humorous situation where Someone is interacting with you in some capacity which they believe you are completely unprepared for. I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah for sure. Also, I wanted to draw attention because I, I, you know, I, when I do an, a profile of an ASMRs, I try to look at all dimensions of this mm-hmm. individual. I look at their YouTube oh, activity, know. their Twitter activity, their Instagram activity. <laughs> <laughs> I will say so. So, friends, you look voice, them up on famous birthdays. I do look them up. Unfortunately, I. Could not figure out what Fred's real name was, so I could not look him up on Famous Birthdays. Ah, that's unfortunate. <laughs> um, but I, so I was trying to look up, you know, some sort of ancillary aspects of Fred's voice. He he does have a Twitter account. The Twitter account basically just tweets out his videos, which I found rather disappointing. Um, I also tried to look it up him on Instagram, and I just want to bring attention to a post I found. I guess presumably about Fred's voice by Catherine Catherine. <laughs> yeah, I I was very curious about this one. Well, John, I wish I could allay your curiosity with reasonable <laughs> okay. explanations of what was going on, but I've got no idea. Okay. It appears to be a series of images of Fred's voice um baking a cake. It yeah, appears to it... be done out of order. It does appear to be done out of order. And the the post does not really carry much of an explanation. It carries a lot of hashtags with Srillic characters. Yeah, um, um, so it, it may provide an explanation, uh, but neither of us can interpret it. Well, actually, hold on. I'll, I'll um, do a little bit of quick investigative journalism. Can you go to Google Translate? I'm going to Google Translate. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm typing in... Yeah, so when I first saw this post, um, that about Ian his hands, had... it is especially nice to watch. Is the translation of the caption to this image? Oh, okay. Um, but yeah, so when Ian first, uh, when I first saw this post, that Ian had decided to take the time to copy a link to and post to our notes, <laughs> I looked at it and I was very confused because it's just a lot of it seems to be a lot of images of making a, a cake. Uh, and it appears to be Fred's voice uh, in some in these images, and I wasn't sure why Ian had bothered to share this. Mm-hmm. I thought this must be some meme that I'm not familiar with. Oh, it's not. Thought, oh, there's a bunch of pictures in a row. Like, oh, maybe this is um, that meme uh, about the the comic. Yeah, loss is that what it's called? Yeah, loss yeah. JPEG. Mm-hmm. Which um, I. Now that would be four I, images in a row. I'm still John. not a fan of Lost. Yeah, I, I know it would be Lost.jpg, but I thought maybe it was some variation on that, and I tried to find a way to like piece it to Lost.jpg, and I, I could not. 
Oh, John, you're not a fan. I, I am a fan of Lost Dog. It's, it's so, like, it's, it's so obtuse, I guess. It's so, um, uh, it's so inaccessible. That's what I don't like about it. Mm. Is that even once you are aware of it, the, like, the majority of the time when it pops up, you still don't realize what it is because it's like, like people usually take it so far away. It's mm-hmm. so completely inaccessible, and it's also just like not really a good joke anyway. Well, so I don't know. I I'm not a fan. That, first off, you know, it is a joke, which is essentially about a a a, a kind of weird arc in a webcomic that deals with a miscarriage. And in that sense, it is an inherently tasteless joke, right? Yeah, I mean, it's, it is also a reference to a webcomic that I never read, and so I don't really have any context for it. What I really like about it, I think, is its obtuseness. In that, uh, to my mind, the real joke behind Lost.jpg, and I would recommend any of our listeners, um, if they're not familiar with it, they look up a few examples, like, you know, look up the, the original Control of the League comic about yeah, Lost. Go to Know and, Your Meme. Yeah. Know Your Meme's great. Um... But I think that it's, because to me, what it is, is a testament to the capacity of individuals to think at varying levels of abstraction. <laughs> Where, like, you can look at a, a picture of, like, you know, states. <laughs> like a, a particular election map or something. And from that, you can decipher a connection to this one bizarre webcomic. <laughs> Yeah, I, just, I, don't know. I think there's something beautiful about the the capacity of individuals to sort of have visual recognition on different levels of abstraction and relate it to different things, and to sort of yeah. realize like it, it it's such a a sort of subtle pattern. I think it's 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 pretty funny. I don't know. Yeah, maybe I should give it another chance because I guess like I I did recently retweet a tweet that. It was very much sort of the exact things I was complaining about in that it was like a very obtuse, very inaccessible reference to a bad joke. But I thought it was very funny. And so I, I retweeted it and liked it. Um, and I don't know why in that case I thought it was funny. And in this case, I don't actually, no, I think, I think the biggest difference was so th- this, uh, tweet that I am referencing. Uh, was essentially a, it was, it was, uh, it was phrased like a sort of clickbait article, um, saying, you know, like, only so many people are capable Only 0.01% of people can translate this code from World War II. Yeah, that's right. Okay. So it's sort of, it presents this challenge to you in a clickbaity manner. And then it's not really that difficult to translate. Uh, or to, like, decipher the code. It takes, like, some time. It's, like, a, it's a very, very simple code that's pretty easy to figure out. It just takes a little bit of time. Oh, um, I'm a little disappointed to, like, in you, John, looking at this, sort of deciphering the code. I thought this was going to be a reference to one of those Facebook posts where it's like, you know, um, if you understand this, then you're in the top 5% of people intellectually. I mean, that's certainly like that. what it's, like, trying to reference in the way that it's phrased um 
But so the the code is just you read the first letter of every um word, which it didn't take me any time at all to figure that out. It's just that mm-hmm. then like the process of actually piecing that into words is somewhat time consuming. Well, also, once is, you actually this is like a actual like this is I think um sort of radio code where it is like you know, India Foxtrot Yankee Oscar yeah, yeah, Uniform yeah. Charlie. So that's that's like how you would communicate sort of letter by letter statements over the radio. Right, right. Um, and once you do uh, piece it together, the the big payoff is that um, it's lines from Rick Astley's "Never Gonna Give You Up." Uh, so it is very much just sort of an inaccessible bad joke. But I think the reason that I like that one is because you have to put in effort to then be the butt of the joke. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's why I appreciated it a little bit more. Whereas with Lost.jpg, you're not the butt of the joke, and there's not really that much effort. It's just sort of inaccessible, and then there's not really much of a payoff. Whereas the fact that, just, like... I think I think the payoff of Lost.jpg is you look at some situation... You see sort of what it's getting at, and you see like sort of the underlying message there. And the payoff is just thinking about what a tenuous connection it is between what you're viewing and the actual webcomic, which it is referencing too. Hmm. Well, I'll, I'll give it another look at some point with mm-hmm. that thought in mind. I will say one uh, thing that I like about what you retweeted is that it, it looks like it's a piece of paper um, where somebody was like using a. Uh, like an actual typewriter on? That's, that's pretty fancy. Yeah. Uh, one meme totally unrelated that I do really enjoy and want to give a quick shout out to is the Connect 4 meme, where people just take the <laughs> Connect 4 box and Photoshop it to like other weird stuff. Like it, it, it's, uh, it, it's very uh, absurdist. Mm-hmm. Like most of these jokes are not really jokes. It's just weird, absurd takes on Connect Four. <laughs> so I really like that. I think my favorite is uh, Connect One, the classical vertical one in a row game. <laughs> oh wait, Ian! I just found Connect Loss, and it's <laughs> <laughs> it's all coming together. That one, th- that one's gonna get a like from me. <laughs> Just because it, I appreciate the the that that one's good. I I I'm cool with that. Connect Flower is really good. There's so many good connect. (laughs) Uh, Listeners, I would I would recommend looking up the connect meme. And I'd like to give a shout out to the trending meme Ugandan Knuckles. Um, oh, that one's. I think it's controversial. I, I like in that um, a lot of the people who enjoy Ugandan Knuckles are sort of insufferable, <laughs> and it is probably just a sort of cancerous meme. In that yeah, it, it is. It's very unpleasant, and a lot and of it people also are seems it. to have some sort of uh, racist aspects to it. There's probably uh, some racist aspects to it. Um, what I like but if you about ignore it, all of that stuff, then I love what's left. <laughs> What I love about it is you've got a silly little Knuckles. Um, I mean, you know, you, as all of our listeners probably know, me and John rose to prominence off of the podcast <laughs> and Knuckles. 
which was, I think, never published. No. <laughs> but that's how we got. We still story. have some of those files laying around somewhere, though. Yeah, someday, John. Someday, Ann Knuckles will really make it big. Yeah, when um, when we have a Patreon, maybe we can uh, give those to the super donors. Maybe just record some new Ann Knuckles, you know? Oh, that could be kind of fun. Um, I don't know. There's just there's something I like about Ann Knuckles and the the dumb Knuckles. And just his dumb knuckles face. Yeah, I I I do agree with that. And you do not know the way, John. Yeah, I also I, like I, I did that. see a pretty good uh, post on Instagram today, which uh, posted by Danny Trejo, uh, who is him on a motorcycle next to Uganda Knuckles, asking, "Do you know the way?" And then. Uganda Knuckles got on the back of his motorcycle, and Danny Trejo drove him to Trejo's Tacos. Uh, and so I, I just like that Danny Trejo was taking uh, Uganda Knuckles and using it to advertise his taco restaurant. <laughs> it's pretty good. <laughs> it really is. Ian, I think we've uh, gone on a little side quest. I think maybe it's time <laughs> to move on to our a rotating segment. Okay, well, John, this is a, I would say, a real triumph of a rotating segment. Um, because I, I saw yesterday that I had to fill this rotating segment. And I was thinking about it, I was thinking about it, and as I was thinking about it, I was listening to um, Claude Debussy's Arabesques Number 1, and I realized, you know, this would be a pretty good thing to talk about, I think, in the in the rotating segment. So this this week's rotating segment is talking about the movement in music of impressionism. Now, impressionism uh, got its start as a sort of artistic term in reference to the sort of visual artistic style popularized by Claude Monet, particularly in his painting Impression Sunrise. Um, and the basic idea of Impressionism in visual arts is that you present a, a, a somewhat more abstract painting where instead of a sort of Renaissance-like um, portrayal of form, in reality, the idea is to try to well, capture an emotion. I'd like to... I've seen Renaissance paintings in museums. I don't know that they were uh, <laughs> trying to capture this lifelike forms. Well, if you're talking about the babies in particular, John, I will say I am that. talking about the babies in particular. <laughs> so Renaissance babies, I will agree. Although even those are sometimes medieval babies when you look at them. Um, I would say that in general, Renaissance painting was an attempt to try to capture more realism in form. Well, they were not style. doing a good job with those babies. <laughs> babies are tricky, John. Babies are tricky. <laughs> um, whereas Impressionism was a, a somewhat of a reaction to that, where it was saying, you know, the, the, the real value of art is not in capturing reality, but in capturing the feelings which reality might inspire. Um, and Monet is one of my favorite painters. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a big fan of his work. Um, and I realized recently that a lot of the classical music that I've been listening to, in particular, uh, a lot of stuff by Claude Debussy and Maurice Ravel, uh, falls under a, a similar label, uh, where it's, it's, it's sort of impressionism in music. 
I just thought that was interesting that, you know, I, and a visual art style which I very much enjoy also corresponds to a musical style which I very much enjoy. Um, now, I will say that the the sort of label of impressionism in music is somewhat controversial in that one of its main um, exemplars, Claude Debussy, he was very much opposed to that label. He thought that it was, it was very foolish if people just say what he was doing was impressionism. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I feel like all music would be impressionism in a way. Well, so there's... Given there's that, I, I mean, you, 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 go ahead. Sorry. What I would say is that impressionism stands out as a somewhat distinct form of music. and that, So in general, you know, the big difference between classical music and pre-existing forms of music, and you know, maybe later pop forms of music or something, is the emphasis on tonality. That is like, you know, sort of the the real rigid adherence to these ideas of, okay, you've got you know, you've got the tonic, and the tonic is the, the sort of tone that you resolve to, and you've got the subdominant, you've got the dominant tones, and all sort of you know, the seven major tones. And music which is structured around those seven major tones. Um, classical music was very much focused on interesting ways to portray variations within those major tones. And that led into Romanticism, which was still an adherence to those major tones, but an emphasis on emotion in music. Um, what people claim is that Impressionism is a movement away from the Romantic period of music, and, and Romanticism in, in music is, is mainly characterized by people like Wagner or something, like people who, who had very emotional um, musical suites, but also still sort of a, a, a very rigid, particular stylistic adherence. Um, an impressionism is a is a digression, maybe, or a, a sort of tangent over into a much more emotional form of music, and a form of music which is not really concerned. Like a lot of a lot of impressionist music is is verging on atonality, or it's like totally ambiguous, where there's a lot of it's it, it's not at all clear that the strength of this music comes from. The, the particular ways in which it manipulates tones. And it is instead about the timbre of the music and the... Actually, maybe to be a little reductive, the overall impression that the music um, gives. So I, I wanted to sort of emphasize a couple of particular uh, points of impressionistic music, particularly by Claude Debussy. Right. Um, the first was the... Um, arabesque suite, in particular arabesque number one. And I want to, I want to emphasize this just because I think that it's a, it's, it's one of my favorite pieces of classical music right now. I think it's a, it's a, it's an incredibly beautiful piece of music. Yeah, I, um, um definitely, uh, don't really have, like, the ear for classical music. Um, and also don't know anything about music theory, so most of what you just said uh, was meaningless to me. Mm-hmm. But uh, I do agree that this definitely was like a, a beautiful piece of music. It, it sounds delightful. Well, I will um, say, music theory is one of those things where I, did, I didn't know anything about it like six months ago. Learning even the slightest bit about it, like right now I consider myself very much a music theory novice, it made me realize what a terrifying 
depth of knowledge there is about music. Like, what a, what a frightening degree of theory and analysis has been applied to things which I say, like, oh, this sounds pretty good. <laughs> like, oh, this, is, this is a like you know an 18-volume treatise on why this sounds pretty good. <laughs> yeah. Um, I did also want to mention, um, so uh, the this particular um, uh, recording of Arabesque number one that you sent me a link to, uh, I noticed several people in the comments were complaining that they felt it was too fast. Um, and so, I mean, obviously you're more familiar with it than I am, so you probably have a better sense of like how fast it normally is. Um, yeah, I noticed several people felt that it was too fast. I also noticed several people um, called out the length of the video, uh, presumably uh, as in, in reference to the fact that it's too fast. Um, they were mentioning that uh, this uh, video is four minutes and twenty seconds in length, um, which I you know assume is sort of to juxtapos- uh, a juxtaposition with how long uh, this recording generally is. Well, so I, I, I'll be honest, when I shared this recording with you, I, I typically listen to renditions of it on Spotify and not on YouTube. Yeah. So this was just sort of the first thing that came up on YouTube. Oh, okay. Um, the fact that it is four minutes and 20 seconds long is, in fact, very funny. Uh, <laughs> I, I checked on Spotify just to see what the standard length of recording was, and, and I typically found things along the lines of, like, 4 minutes and 30 seconds, or... Oh, okay. So it doesn't seem like it's particularly... So it's not a strong juxtaposition, rushed. so I'm not really sure why people are calling out the exact length rather than just mentioning the fact that it's a little fast. I will say, I'm sorry, I listened I listened to it after hearing the, the critiques that it was a little fast. Um, it does seem like it, it doesn't quite adhere to proper pauses. Like, I don't know, so much of classical music, and so much of so much of, like, good um, piano music in general is about sort of creative interpretation of rest lengths. Where, hmm. you know, like, you can have you can have some sort of robot, right? You can put in the sheet music and uh, get a, a perfect rendition of some piece of music. And it will probably not be super interesting to listen to, or not the most interesting rendition of it to listen to, because a lot of... A lot of tension is built up with how you sort of will overplay or underplay pauses in music. And I think this version was a little mechanical and a little rushed. Um, I do wonder if someone did manipulate the speed of it just to get it down to 420. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not positive. Oh, it's in general, and, and it's the reason why I wanted to bring up impressionism in music is because I, I think that there is some relationship between impressionism as an artistic genre and ASMR. Where I think that both are very interested less in the sort of main action in a dramatic piece or in a sort of narrative piece, and are more interested in the background. And I just I think there is something similar to the because like you know, generally when people think about impressionism, they'll think about Oh, that's a pleasant piece, right? Um, there's something related to the idea of ASMR as sort of pleasant content. Yeah. Now there's some, there's, there's just, I don't know, it's, it's not something that I have a super well-formed treatise on, but I suspect that ASMR is sort of neurological impressionism, where it's people striving less for 
sort of actual sort of semantics or meaning through the form of their actions and more for trying to create an impression through those actions, trying to like sort of establish an overall scene of things. I think that that draws an interesting connection. I I think you have a a pretty solid point there. Um, You know, I certainly like it doesn't, or at least for me, doesn't trigger ASMR, but I I do agree that it it does elicit sort of similar emotional responses. It, It does sort of have that element of relaxation and pleasantness. Um, uh, Claire de Lune, which was the, the one song that I was at all familiar with before this, um, before you sent me these links. Uh, it was a song, yeah, I'd heard several times before, and, um, every time that I heard it, I thought, like, oh, this is very nice, very pleasant, very relaxing. I feel like it just sort of has, like, a, a calming effect to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think, I think that there's, I'm a big fan of impressionism in music. Uh, even if even if Claude Debussy is not, <laughs> <laughs> I think that there is. I, I, I very much like um, Debussy and Ravel, and I think that there is. I think that there is a relationship between them and ASMR. And if any of our listeners uh, are more informed about music theory and they, they have sort of <laughs> tighter connections to draw than I do, I'd be I'd be welcome to hear it. I'm very much a novice here. But. Yeah, that'd be cool. Yeah, uh, we are always happy to hear from our listeners, which I think is a great way to segue into the indulgence corner. Uh, got a nice tweet from Danny D in response to our last episode. Digging the new format. Really enjoyed the profile of Creative Calm ASMR. Ian was particularly active this episode. I the was. Pote- <laughs> um, <laughs> And then in parentheses, uh, the potential of the which cheesy pasta do you most feel like in 2018 question is practically limitless. Close parentheses. Hashtag don't stand with Ian. Hashtag ASMR me. Hashtag like yourself. (laughs) Uh, I really like that he is congratulating you and singing your praises, but is still hashtagging don't stand with Ian. Don't stand with Ian. He doesn't want to, you know, be a part of your preposterous uh, anti-Taylor Darling view or or stance. Which is fair. Losing my words there. (laughs) I will say, John, I will say one point against NUD here is I don't think that he really answered which cheesy pasta he he would be in 2018. I also don't feel like you ever answered which cheesy pasta you would be in 2018. Yeah, no, it was, uh, which anime girl are you? He capitalized cheesy pasta, so I wonder if it's a phrase that I maybe just didn't am not familiar with. Because yeah, you definitely asked about anime girl. I, I don't know I, why. Maybe he, that, maybe that's just an example of one. Uh, maybe I don't think just... cheesy cheesy pasta is. I'm pretty sure not an anime girl. Danny D, if I'm wrong here, please let me know. I do not know of an anime girl who's named cheesy pasta. Yeah, Danny D, let us know why you said cheesy pasta in this tweet. Did uh, I talk maybe, about cheesy pastas? I don't think so. I think maybe he's just using that as. Like his own example of, like which fill in the blank do you most feel like in 2018? Maybe he's just giving us cheesy pasta. Although, but again, I, I don't know why it's capitalized. Um, Nanny D, let us know. Uh, we we'll we'd be interested to hear about it, and we'll talk about it on the next episode. Also, John, uh, just quickly to respond to this, um, which cheesy pasta do you most feel like in 2018? Oh, I mean, 
I've always been a big fan of spirals. Spirals are, in my opinion, the the tastiest pasta to turn into mac and cheese. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know why, but the spirals are the best. But I don't know that I am spirals, you know? Like, mm-hmm. they're my favorite, but is my favorite me? Mm-hmm. Am I oh, my favorite? That is a deep question, Don. That is a deep, it deep is. question. A deep As... question, which we'll answer next at time. Um, Will we? Okay, I'll hold you to that, John. I'll hold you to that. <laughs> okay. To be continued, <laughs> listeners. Uh, yeah, so, listeners, if you would like to get in touch with us, you can email us at asmrquesting at gmail.com. You can find us on Twitter at asmr underscore quest. And please leave us a five-star rating and review on iTunes. Thanks again for listening. And stay cheesy. <laughs> <laughs>